Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show. It's 410 here in Northeast Pennsylvania, 34 degrees and cloudy. Uh, if you get the Odyssey app, um, I must have got an update the other day because uh, I went to log into it today to listen to some of the chapters earlier in the day from the other shows and uh, had me sign in again. So you had to set up an account or sign in. Now, you could do that through your Apple account, through your – there's a bunch of ways, through, through your AOL. through You could set up an account. It, it took less than a minute to do. Uh, there's still no cost. It's a free app, but you, you may have to – log in set up an account which like i said takes uh took less than a minute and i was back listening to the odyssey app so if you find that there may be an update with it that's what i experienced so i'm bringing it to you uh that the next time you log in when you update or log into your odyssey app you may have to set up an account which again is free and took uh like i said less than a minute we've been talking about the uh three American soldiers that were killed. It's up to 40 now, injured, eight critically that had to be airlifted to Ramstein Air Base for further treatment. They're talking a lot of concussions and traumatic brain injuries, where a one-way attack drone struck what is called Tower 22. It's an outbase facility that was housing the 718th Engineering Company of the 926th Engineering Battalion from Fort Moore, Georgia. The three soldiers that were killed are Sergeant William Rivers, Sergeant William Rivers, 46 years of age, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, she was 24 years of age, and Specialist Brianna Moffitt, 23. She was 23 years of age. All in the Army Reserves. Got a text message in, we are relying far too heavy on our National Guard and Reserve units. Uh, We are. We are indeed, and we have been, um, and we're extending our our uh, active duty. You know, we we just extended an aircraft carrier from six months to ten months. Uh, thankfully, finally was able to come home. But you think you're doing a six month deployment, and then it's eight months, and then it's ten months. Uh, and I, I alluded to this on a social media post, and if you're not following me on social media, please follow me at Rob O'Donnell on Facebook or at O'Donnell underscore R on Twitter. There is a, there's a common issue that's going to be very detrimental, especially to our Navy, but for all our assets, I'm sure. You get these... Individuals to lead our military, be it the head of CENTCOM, be it the head of the Joint Chiefs, be it the Joint Chiefs themselves. These four-star generals, admirals, that a lot of time aren't Navy. They're they're generals that lead, like CENTCOM has a general in charge now, but is in charge of the entire operational area. They want to know that their assets are available. They want to push the assets. And they're only in their tenure for two to three years. And obviously, they want to do a good job doing there because that's the way you move up. That's the way you prove yourself in a position like that or have nothing happen. But the way to have nothing happen is to push your assets. So what happens is they don't take into consideration and they don't want to hear about necessary downtime maintenance, uh, especially when it comes to our ships, our planes, 
our mechanic. I mean, right now we seem to be leaning heavily on our ships and our aircraft aircrafts on those ships. They need downtime. They need dry dock. They need refurbishment. They need replacements. Now, they could do a lot of repairs on the fly, but that's not uh, an exchange for a teardown replacement. That's not an exchange for a dry dock refurbation. Um, and these four-star admirals, these four-star generals, a lot of time don't want to hear that. They want the assets available to them so they can do the things they need to do operationally. You can't blame them for that. But unless we factor in this downtime, these maintenance where that ship goes into dry dock, that ship gets overhauled, the catapults get rebuilt, they get a, you know an engine rehab. Now, most of our aircraft carriers are, are nuclear-powered, but they do get a, a refurbishment halfway through their life. Things are going to start to break down. Things are breaking down. We're pushing our... our our infrastructure to the limits because you get somebody in for two or three years and they're like, oh, I just need one more deployment. I just need one more tour through the Mediterranean. I just need one more this. I just need one more that. And then they move on to their next position or retire. Somebody else comes in and then they want one more. And then the, the next person wants one more. And what happens when this happens two or three times, you've postponed preventative maintenance. You've postponed needed refurbishment five, six, seven years, and what's going to happen when something does break out, something big breaks out, and these things are being pushed at an operational tempo that stresses them, and they start to break during operations, during combat. We're in trouble then, and it's something that we need to take into consideration. It's something that the services need to take into consideration and it needs to be built in. Listen, I don't care who's in charge of CENTCOM. I don't care who's at the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I don't care who's here or there. Here's the schedule for maintenance for our fighter squadron. Here's a schedule for maintenance for our destroyers. Here's a schedule for maintenance for our aircraft carriers. Now, those schedules exist, but they're constantly being pushed. They're constantly being stretched. They're being massaged, manipulated. And what's going to happen is something is going to break out. These things are already at their breaking point, and when you go to a combat operational push, they're going to start to snap. And you lose three catapults on a four-catapult aircraft carrier. You lose arresting wires when there's only three. You lose systems that you, that you don't know how to that, – that you can't do without. And I could list some, but there's really no need to. That's when we are in danger. So – I hope our military is taking into consideration these things because we're already pushing our assets past what they're for. I mean, our F-18s, we just extended their life, and we don't have a replacement aircraft yet for them. The F-35 is not a replacement. It was an addition. We have no joint strike fighter to replace the F-18 Super Hornet at this time. Now, we've extended it more years. It's life. But it's already been in service to what some say is its life limit. And we don't even have one built yet. We don't have one we cho chosen to replace it. So people say, well, look at all this money we spend on our military. Yeah, I agree. It needs to be spent better. But we also need to take into consideration the maintenance of these assets. Or else we're going to be in a lot of trouble when it comes to it. 
me go to the phone. We have uh, Rich from Laughlin on the Middle East. Rich. Thanks for taking a call, Rob. Appreciate it. Look, I don't know the size of the drone or anything, but typically the military operates with IFF, identification friend or foe. And I'm shocked that they didn't have a way of telling. You know, they, they, those things, uh, they said there was a heavy-weighted uh, bomb coming at them. And if they, and I'm, I'm sorry for the loss of lives, uh, believe me, but if they didn't see that it was an American one, I, I would have taken it out, but I'm not there. So I'm just saying there is, a, they operate very heavily on IFF, identification friend or foe, on everything from fighters to, to, to their bigger drones that I see them fly around and everything. Next thing, what are we doing with that ship in the middle of the Mediterranean? Imagine if, if we're in war with Japan and we saw a Japanese ship outside Honolulu, either wave at it. I mean, that should have been taken out a long time ago. That's giving them information. You could even let them dive into the water. But that, that radar ship should have been taken out. I, I don't know what type of war we're fighting here. And I will, here's what I would do. I'll give you the Reagan answer. You got B-52s 400 miles away in Turkey, unless Biden had them moved. 400 miles, that's just, they have to fly them anyway to stay certified and keep the engines going. Take four to six of them, load it with 60 bombs each, shake the earth up, and sooner or later, sooner or later, whether the Americans do it or the Israelis, you have Iran 90, almost 90 percent pure, purified for a nuclear bomb. Now, one of us, and probably we would do it because we have the technology to go very deep in the ground, which I will not say how far, uh, that's going to have to be taken out. The problem is Biden is buddies with the Chinese, and the Chinese are friendly with Iran. You just don't see Biden bothering much with the uh, Iran. I hate to draw a conclusion, but it bothers me a lot. And he just gave $6 billion to get those six men free. Uh, he, he's been staying away from That is the crux of all of this. But have the earth shake a couple times from B-52s. They just have the heavy density of bombs enough to do what has to be done. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I, I'm sorry for the uh, the people that died, but we're, we're not acting like we're in, in there for a war to win, or, or if it is a war even. Well, a couple, call it what you, a couple of things, what you want. A couple of things you brought up, Rich. I, I did speak about the, the drone because I, I know Iran, Iran had shot down one of our drones. They have one a drone crash there. And, and the intelligence experts are telling me that it's highly unlikely that they were able to re, re-engineer our systems to, to for that identification system. So that's not something that they really think happened here. Um, it, it was be explained to me sort of like a Pearl Harbor type thing where they saw the Japanese planes coming over and they looked at the radar and says, oh, that's a returning squadron of B-52s from the mainland. Nothing to worry about. That's it seems to be an operator error here where something similar to that may have been done. Uh, the other thing was what what complacency was there? Were we launching our drones and returning our drones at the same time each day? So for the Iranian proxies to get a timing on that and say, OK, let's send our, our drone, our attack drone in at the same time their drone is coming in to see if it confuses them. That's something that's very uh, likely as well, so those we would ha- we would have to get an IFF signal for our drone coming back, and if you don't get that, then it's enemy. I I, I, I agree, and that's why operator error and uh, complacency was brought up very specifically when it comes to that. I'm sorry to see the people killed, though, especially reserve units. But you know, this is going to get worse. Nobody's joining the services. You know, uh, only the Marines, I think, met their quota. The rest of the services, including the Coast Guard, I mean, 
Nobody wants to join the service. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to do anything, Rob. God bless you. You thank you. Thank you, Rob. And the Navy just lowered their their entrance. You don't need a GED or a high school diploma if you oh get my a, God. if you get a certain uh, where's this gonna go to, Rob? if you get a certain this exam. Go? This is one of the things I'm going to talk to Rear Admiral Paul Becker tomorrow about uh, specifically the lowering of the standards. Now I, I've heard mixed reviews on that, uh, but I'll get his. I'll take his expert opinion any day. So we'll have that tomorrow at five o'clock, Rich. God bless you, Rob. Thank you, and the best to your to your family. Take care, sir. Thank you, Rich. It's 4:22 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thanks, Rob. This traffic update: we have a backup on 80 westbound near the 81 junction. It looks like uh, there's some construction going on right near the drums area. We also have a little bit of heavy traffic with construction going on where you get on to 81, uh, 6 and 11 in Dixon, the Dixon City area. It's a bit jammed up on, um, there's a road hazard reported in the road, as a matter of fact, in that area. So that might be your issue as the Clark Summit um the, the junction right there off of uh, South Abington Township and the Scranton-Carbondale Highway that might be causing a little bit of a disruption. Uh, other than that, we're not hearing of any accidents. 81 is looking good from the New York border to Hazleton, and it looks good on 476, the PA Turnpike, as well as 80, 84, and 380. Whenever you hear of a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Jeremy Luan. Today, some light flurries in northern tier, finishing by afternoon. Gusty, mostly cloudy, some peaks of sunshine for the southern tier, high 36. Monday night, remaining mostly cloudy, some clear skies for the southern tier, breezy backs, uh, breeze backs down, low 24. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, high 38. Wednesday, mostly cloudy with some flurries for the morning, high 40. Thursday, partly sunny and breezy, high 43. Friday, light rain and snow showers, breezy again. Breezy seems to be the word of the week, high 41. Saturday, mostly sunny and gusty, winds up to 35 miles per hour possible. Cold with wind chill, high 33. Sunday, mix of sun and clouds, breezy again, high 32. It's currently 33 degrees here at 424, your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 33 degrees here at 427 on this Monday, January 29th, 2024. Month of January slipping away as we talk. Well, uh... Suspect in an arson in Scranton was charged, held, and you guessed it, bailed out. Lee Heighton man posted bail on charges of setting a fire in August to the Brook Street home of a man arrested for running over and killing the accused arsonist's employer in Schuylkill County. Police filed a criminal complaint Monday against Barton James McConnell, 39, charging him with felony counts of arson and criminal mischief and a misdemeanor count of reckless endangerment. He was held Friday in Lackawanna County Prison in lieu of $500,000 bail before posting bond and being released that day, according to records. Now, it says he was held on $500,000 bail before posting bond. Was it on a secured bond? doesn't say. And I didn't quite honestly have the um, motivation to pull the arrest report. 
But I'm assuming that uh, he didn't come up with $500,000 bail, so a percentage or uh, or unsecured, and he walked out. But still, two felony charges and a misdemeanor. Let's give bail. Hours after West Penn Township Police said Michael Albert struck Michael Boyle with a dump truck August 2nd in the driveway of Boyle's welding and industrial sanding business. Scranton firefighters responded early August 3rd to the structure fire at Brook Street to the unaccompanied home. I basically just brought it up to show you that uh, it takes a whole lot to be held in prison these days, I guess. Uh, if If you're comfortable with committing arson... Felony arson. Are you a danger? I mean, this was targeted, yes. But, you know, if, if, if something in your mind said, listen, um, if I don't like this guy or this situation or not, but I'm going to set someone's house on fire. I would consider that person a danger to the public. Now, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't anybody? Wouldn't... Uh, uh, any reasonable thinking person think that they were in danger? Uh, now, there was, thankfully, was $500,000 bail, but there was $500,000 bail before. It doesn't say cash bail. It doesn't say unsecured bail. It doesn't specify what it is. And again, I doubt uh, the individual, Barton James McConnell, 39, came up with $500,000 bail. So, out on the street again, that judicial revolving door we talked so... Uh, talk so much about interesting that it just keeps happening and happening and happening and and there was an article uh, I was going to talk about it but quite honestly um, with the killing of of three of our soldiers a lot else kind of went by the wayside you know this weekend's football games went by the wayside I really didn't care about them um you know, there's an article where the mayor's trying, of Scranton, PGC's trying to put everything together, uh, saying how, you know, all these programs that she has is working in the right direction to keep the city safe from gangs, including hiring that Muffle Hun organization that really has little to do with gangs to do a study that's really not going to help with gangs. Discussion for another day. Just my pet peeve, though. It's uh, 4.31 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Nancy Kamen in for Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 33 degrees and cloudy here at 4.36 on this Monday, January 29th, 2024. It's the point of the show where we're on our heroes across America who made the ultimate sacrifice here at home. 59 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day. Four of them from here in uh, Pennsylvania. We're going to start off with Detective Christopher Charles Jones. Middletown Township Police Department in 2009 was struck and killed by a drunk driver while conducting a traffic stop on Route 1 near the I-295 interchange. Policeman William Joseph Davis, Philadelphia Police Department in Pennsylvania in 1921, was shot and killed as he and his partner questioned two suspects at a Ridge Avenue and Allegheny Avenue. One man pulled a gun and opened fire on the officers. Patrolman Joseph Henry Bossert, Geniet City Police Department in 1921, was shot and killed while walking a beat on 11th Street in West Jeanette. Police Officer Isaiah Z. Isaiah Z. Haywood, 
1907. Suffered a fatal heart attack after he and another officer arrested four men for fighting at a local saloon. That was 1907. Uh, and if you do follow me on social media, Rob O'Donnell on Facebook, I just, play, I just uh, posted the pictures of uh, the three U.S. soldiers, Sergeant William J. Rivers, 46 years of age, Specialist Kennedy L. Sanders, she was 24 years of age, and Specialist Brianna A. Moffitt, 23 years of age. Of the 718th Engineering Company of the 926th Engineering Battalion and Brigade from Fort Moore, Georgia. Look at their faces. Remember them. Don't forget them. Serving you or I. And it's as simple as that. They were there to protect us. You might disagree with why they're there. You might think they shouldn't be there. They got orders. They were there following those orders, serving with their brothers and sisters to protect the American interests. And, uh, you know, when I found out that these three soldiers were killed, uh, this was my post on social media when it happened. I don't care about their rank, their net worth, their nationality, their race, their age, what state they're from, what they identify as, who they love, who they voted for, their political party, how they heat their house, or what car they drive. Three American kills were killed in an act of war. Pretty much sums it up. And it's the honest truth. Could care less where they were from, who they are, or anything else. They were serving in the uniform of a United States soldier. That means something. It's supposed to mean something. In the Middle East, it seems not to mean anything. 160 attacks on our assets in the past couple of months, dozens of injuries, 40 injured in this attack. We need to get the bottom of how it happened. Did they have the assets present there to defend themselves? And who's going to be held responsible? And who's going to be held responsible? I seem a little out of it today. I am. You know, I've been not getting much sleep since this happened. A couple hours sleep last night. Was up till about 1.30. Waiting to see a response. Got up early this morning to see if there was a response. And unfortunately had to remove a couple inches of snow so my wife could get out of the driveway. You know, as I was putting the show together, monitoring all, speaking to military contacts that I have. Same thing. Everyone's just waiting. We're not supposed to know, and that's a good thing, but hopefully there is a response. Uh, let me tell you guys about BudgetBlinds.com. You go to BudgetBlinds.com, you make an appointment, you're going you're gonna to meet Tom or Rick. They're outstanding. Uh, they know their business. They've been in their business for decades. They're the leader in custom window treatments at BudgetBlinds.com. 90% more options than the big box stores. That's the thing that stuck out to me. They're going to come in. They're going to wheel a card in with binders of options for you. And I'm telling you, you're going to love them. 
90% more than you've ever seen before going to a big box store. Budget Blinds has proud to offer the best warranty program in the industry, including their no questions asked guarantee, which means you're going to save money. You're going to go through three or four sets of blinds to the one set of blinds that they expertly install for you, back for you, and you look through each and every day. Budgetblinds.com. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. Tell them I sent you. It's uh, 442 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thanks, Rob. Roadwork still has 80 westbound jammed up near Drums near the 81 Junction. You have heavy traffic on Jefferson Avenue in Scranton, and it is bumper to bumper on South Pennsylvania Avenue in Wilkes-Barre. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone. From the WILK Traffic Center with this Penteladata Internet Traffic Update. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Jeremy Luan. Monday night remaining mostly cloudy, some clear skies in the southern tier, breezy backs down. The breeze backs down, low 24. Tuesday mostly cloudy, high 38. Wednesday mostly cloudy with some flurries for the morning, high 40. Thursday, partly sunny, some wind, high 43. Friday, light rain and showers, high 41. Saturday, mostly sunny and gusty, winds up to 35 miles an hour. Possible cold with wind chill, high 33. Sunday, mix of sun and clouds, windy, high 32. It's currently 33 degrees now and mostly cloudy at 443, your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 33 degrees and mostly cloudy on this Monday, January 29th, 2024, 446 right now. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Um... Today marks the 79th anniversary of the worst single disaster suffered by the United States Coast Guard, the explosion and sinking of the USS Serpents, AK-97. World War II tragedy killed 193 Coast Guard crewmen, 56 Army stevedores, and the 291st Company, 490. Second, Port Battalion, a public health physician and a soldier ashore who was hit by shrapnel. Only two aboard the cargo ship survived the disaster. The bodies of the only two Coast Guardmen were recovered intact and identified. To this day, a mystery persists on whether the catastrophe was a result of faulty cargo handling or an attack by a Japanese submarine. Ten Pennsylvanians, including a Hazleton native, died in the loss on the USS Serpents. Coxon's Edmund Joseph Durso was born on October 28, 1920, to Joseph Dorso and Emily Miley Dorso, both of whom were born in Italy. Dorso had two brothers, Virgil and Joseph, and six sisters. He attended Hazleton High School and was a member of the Mother of Grace Church. He enlisted in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserve on April 14, 1942. He trained at Curtis Bay in Baltimore and later attended a training school in Chicago before being sent overseas in 1943. He was assigned to the USS Serpents and first went aboard on April 22, 1943. 
USS Serpens was a cargo ship commissioned by the U.S. Navy on May 28, 1943, and crewed by the U.S. Coast Guard. Its mission was to deliver troops. It was the delivery of troops, provisions, and equipment to locations in the Asia-Pacific theater. The vessel received cargo in New Zealand to support operations in the Solomons, Guadalcanal, and New Hebridge. In late 1944, three of Serpens' three of Serpens' hold were converted to stow ordnance. On January 29, 1945, it was anchored off of Laguna Beach, Guadalcanal. The ship's commanding officer and seven crew members were ashore, while the rest of the crew loaded 600 tons of ammunitions and explosives. At 11.18 p.m., two consecutive explosions rained shrapnel and debris across the radius of one mile, knocking everyone in the blast off their feet, injuring 14 sailors of the USS YP-514 moored 650 yards away and demolishing the ship's bow and crow's nest. The explosion spawned an eight-foot tidal wave and a ground shock that rippled for five, minute, five miles. The 100-ton ba barge that transferred bombs to the Serpents vaporized. The only thing left of the 441-foot cargo ship was the sinking bow keel up. The remains of 250 victims were exhumed from Guadalcanal military cemeteries, placed in 52 dra flag-draped coffins, and laid to rest on June 15, 1949, in 28 graves in the largest group burial ever hosted by Arlington National Cemetery. Initially, the loss of the Serpents was attributed to being torpedoed by the Japanese. Only seven Purple Heart medals were awarded before a Navy court of inquiry concluded that the cause of the explosion could not be established. By 1949, the Navy closed the case, concluding that the loss was an accident caused by the mishandling of cargo and not due to enemy action. In, 19, in 2012, a quest for more answers was launched by the CIA retiree whose father perished on the Serpents. He uncovered Navy documents from March 1945, stated that the Serpents was lost due to enemy action and that Tokyo Radio boasted of the explosion before Japan could have learned about it from the U.S. In addition, there was a discovery of an undated document from the Navy Court of Inquiry hearings that the courts Majority blamed the tragedy on enemy action. To this day, the mystery surrounding the loss of the Serpents persists. The Coast Guard has petitioned to convene a new investigation to award Purple Hearts to all of the victims of that explosion. Again, that happened on this day. Seventy-nine years ago. Go to the phone. We have... Uh, Fred from West Pittston on colleges. Fred. Yeah, I was just wondering about, like, do you have background checks on, on kids that go on colleges and, like, all colleges, and do they check their financial status? And and if they get, you know, arrested and stuff like that? But... I don't believe colleges do background checks. When you do a FAFSA, you have to uh, connect your, your tax returns to it, so that's a financial check, I would assume. Oh, they do do that. Like, say, if you all like stop thirty thousand dollars, and you know, they still accept you like that, or if you, you know, you have bad credit. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you that. I, I know with a, on a FAFSA when you go to college, or you're usually required to file a FAFSA for admissions. 
uh, even if you uh, don't uh, need a student loan, you have to attach your, your, your you or your parents or both's uh, IRS. How about if you get arrested, stuff like that? But that Wilkes College thing that uh, I just heard, you know, that that's a pretty bad situation for Wilkes College. I know certain certain programs require background checks. I know with my daughter's nursing school, she had to do a, a police background check for nursing school. But again, that's because she's dealing with patients, dealing with children right, and such like that. Right. Uh, I don't think there's a background check for just ever, just to go to college. Really? They should, wouldn't you think? Um, it's, I, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence with that. Um, yeah, that's. It's a pretty serious thing that happened to the Wilkes College to that student. I mean, that 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 guy was that's outrageous, uh, Rob. Oh, it uh, definitely is, and we might get there if it, it becomes a, a you know an increasing issue. Um, unfortunately, yeah. it, it's becoming more relevant. Do we do background checks for every student that goes to college? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't should. have that answer. I will. I, yeah. Yeah. For all the violence that goes on in colleges and all, you know, all this crap that goes on each and every day, and you know, they they should, you know. Yeah, sexual and, uh, sexual assaults are prevalent at some of our universities. Assaults, um, you know, I, I get, and we've seen what happened out in the University of. Uh, yeah, Idaho you go with, to with college, you should Homer. be comfortable. You know, women should be comfortable and safe and all that, Rod. But uh, thank you for taking my call, Rod. No problem, Fred. Thanks. It's uh, 4.53 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 33 degrees and mostly cloudy at uh, 4.56. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. I'm looking through uh, some text messages here. Since you're talking about background checks, schools in Luzerne County District, in uh, Lackawanna District, basically all the same districts in PA, it is not mandatory that school board directors go through background checks. Anybody that does work at the school, any administrator that becomes part of the uh, school board, School, any teacher, support staff have to go through background checks except school board directors. And with uh, all the functions that go, school, uh, it's too many. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's, 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 I can only get 160 characters per text, text messages. And when it comes in jumbled up and when it's a long text message, it comes in in pieces and it's not in the order that you sent it in. So, uh. From what I'm assuming, the text message says that if uh, everyone else involved with the school, I know parents that want to go on school trips or parents that are in school functions with around kids, they have to get background checks. Uh, you're saying school directors do not need background checks. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm taking your word for it. That's why I'm putting it out there. If you serve on a school board, were you mandated to get a background check? Uh, you should. I agree if that's the, the point of this. Like I said, the text message is jumbled up and there's two too much to put together on the fly here but what what I'm gathering here you say that you know everyone else who works in a school or has contact in a school with children needs a background check but school directors don't need a background check I don't know if that's the case or not um, quite honestly I'd be surprised if it's not the case because can't school directors I know school directors at my school my school district came in and walked around the halls um, and did things in the school so uh, interesting. 
if true, again, I, I don't have any confirmation of that. I'm reading a text message from you, but I take your word for it. Seems like you, you've been there and done that as well. If you're a school board director out there, did you have to get a background check to sit, stand, uh, sit in your post or be in school functions and such like that during school hours? Be interesting. Maybe that should be something that's checked on as well. Um, sorry, cartoon pack characters have taken up my tech space. Won't give them any, uh, won't give them any uh, breath today. I'm, I'm not supposed to tell you the time or the weather, I guess. But that's saying it's 33 degrees and cloudy here at coming up on the 5 o'clock hour. See you in a bit.